Welcome back to the podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilden Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Last week, fellas, um, you know, you guys did a superb job of holding it down, but, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, doing a three-man weed when you only got two participants. So I'm glad we got the group back together so we can talk about boxing. And speaking of that, um, well, we can get to the card, you know, the main card that took place on Saturday. But before I even get to that, you know, it's been a lot going on since we all have been together, right? So you had like the, uh, I mean, you guys talked about it last week with the um, Kabbalaskis and um, you had the snooze fest with Rigo running around the ring. Um, <laughs> But you also had that dip set versus locks, um, that versus that they had. And I didn't hear you guys touch on that. For one, first and foremost, did you guys see that? And if you did, what did you think about that um, versus? I missed it because I had class that night, but um, I did watch clips of it. But for what I saw, man, Jada put the team on his back. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in general, the locks was, from what I saw, you know, once again, I didn't watch the whole thing, but. The locks just look prepared, like they like they took this whole thing serious, you know what I mean? So it was impressive and it all, you know, um, it just gives you that old feeling of of like when music was like that. Now that I'm like anti new music because I listen to that too, but you know, I just respect how serious they took their craft. Yeah, I'm with you, Danny. Uh, I didn't necessarily see it, but I knew that the locks probably going to take it based off. Uh, stage presence and the and the way that that format was going to be presented, um, it, you know, if they were just playing songs, it probably would have been you know a little different. But I, but you know, in these verses, sometimes it's you know it's, it's a lot of questions of the bigger hits versus the longevity, you know. So you know, shout out to Jada, you know, he finally got some of the props that he he deserved over the years. You know, we used to always hear about it, but you know. He finally got that chance, you know, the mainstream got a chance to really, you know, see what he could do. Yes, sir, man. He, you know, he solidified and stamped his claim as being top five dead or alive. You know what I mean? He's been saying that. He's been having a mantra for years, but you actually saw it in full effect. You saw it on display on that day. I was really impressed. I, I did check it out that night because those are two of my favorite groups. You know, I in, a, in the morning when I work out, I often listen to cam i listen to like diplomat immunity you know a lot of jadakis a lot of uh blocks a lot of chic looch i like uh styles i like all of them. going into it i actually thought it could have been close i think that the dip set a couple for a couple reasons you guys mentioned the lack of preparation you can't go into verses like that and not really know your lyrics not really like they wasn't really feeding off each other it's like individual guys going against a group that has camaraderie right and that just and the lyrical ability of those guys you would you would see at one point where jadakiss or any of those guys like they really perfected their craft and they are very specific with the words and everything like when you listen to their lyrics it's just like an actual like bar for bar all of those things are, they're great. And then you couple that with Cam might do a verse or his next lines that come after those guys go, it just don't hit the same. For instance, Jada did that freestyle, threw the mic down, and then Cam had one of his better songs, but the opening line was, I get computers putin. And so he's like, what? How are you going to say something like that when these dudes were just displaying these lyrical um ability and, and stuff like that it just didn't go together and then i think the last thing is that the dip set they just like i say they don't have that camaraderie like you know what i mean like they have some good songs they chose the wrong songs i think um and a lot of things just went the last way but i tell you what jada man i li i watch that versus pretty much every morning now and like i get like a like a burst of energy or like adrenaline comes to me when I see that look in his eye, especially when he started doing a freestyle and the way he was controlling the crowd and everything, like it was just emceeing on full display, you know, shout out to those guys. But all in all, I think that was the best verses that I've seen. I think it could have been a little bit closer. 
if the dips chose better songs, if they would have practiced. But all in all, it was the best one that I seen. So shout out to those guys. Now, um, speaking of top five that are alive, some people have Manny in their top five that are alive. And um, he was on full display yesterday. So we'll start there um, with the main event that took place on Saturday. You had Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao versus Udanis Ugas. Um, fellas, tell us your thoughts um, on that bout. Pacquiao versus Ugas, the fight that fa fight fans didn't ask for, but the fight they probably did to see. So, <laughs> so Manny Pacquiao, he comes into this fight uh, 62 and 7 with two draws and 39 knockouts against Jordinas Ugas, who is 24 and 4 with 12 knockouts. Um, running down a laundry list of what Pacquiao has done and his, uh, the opponents he's fought will probably be tiresome. So I'll just look at the last few years where, you know, he, he has went over Keith Thurman, which was two years ago. So he's coming off a two-year layoff. Then he had the fight with Adrian Broner um, that he won and a stoppage went over Matisse. Uh, the controversial loss to Jeff Horn, which I thought he did edge that fight. And then he had a win, wins over uh, Vargas and Bradley and then lost to Floyd Mayweather. So Ugas, you know, he, he's he's coming off, a, uh, I believe, a win against Ramos. Uh, but I know he had that fight with uh, Sean Porter, which which pretty much solidified him on the map as one of the, the, the top welterweights and dangerous uh, welterweights. But, you know, he's one of those guys that he, he hovers around and, you know, he can be overlooked. And also, I think fighters kind of, you know, he's kind of high risk, you know, uh, not a lot of reward for beating. So getting into the fight, um, the first thing I noticed right off the bat was that, you know, uh, Pacquiao, he stood in front of Ugas a lot. You know, he, he didn't have the, the same footwork. He didn't use his feet. Uh, a lot and he didn't use a lot of head movement for, for most of the night he was you know letting his hands go but because of uh his, his foot speed has slowed he couldn't close the distance exactly like he, he he uh used to in the past and of course Ugas would just take a step back and Manny would miss that that, that left now Manny never really had a jab but he would always a great jab he always used that jab as a, a range finder where he wouldn't necessarily look to land it but he would look to throw that jab out there to, to kind of, you know, be with their uh, opponents and blind them and hit them with that left. But, you know, Ugas would take that step back and that, that left would miss, you know. And Ugas did a great job of using his reach, uh, using his jab. Um, Pacquiao was, you know, he tried. Uh, I think in the, in the first six rounds I had it uh, uh, even. I had Pacquiao winning the, the first, third, and fifth rounds. But from the fifth round on, I think Ugas pretty much – you know, won every single round, um, pretty much outboxing Manny Pacquiao. Um, I won't say he just totally just dominated him, but he was de definitely controlling the fight, you know, letting, you know, Pacquiao know, hey, look, I'm here. You know, he was focused. You look in his eyes, you know, he was he was ready. Um, and and one thing I did notice about Pacquiao is he, he seemed to accept that loss. It wasn't like, Normally, when, it was, when when fights like this happen, he usually you can see the frustration on his face. You can see uh, Freddie Roach, you know, getting frustrated. But it seems like he 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 knew he knew that you know this is it, you know, and and for him, he was like, I'm just gonna you know make sure I close with a, a decent show that you know people can be proud of and not say that I just took a beating, but at least tried. So he went out that way. Um, but props to to Ugas. You know, he was always the 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 uh, the guy that gets overlooked a lot. Not in a, in a in a way like people are just straight ducking him, but he's overlooked in a way that you know he's he's one of those good fighters that doesn't bring a lot of reward, but he's always dangerous. He's always there, but you don't hear his name a lot as far as I want to fight Ugas. So shout out to to Jordanus uh, Ugas. He fought a very disciplined fight. Uh, it, it was it was a great fight. Uh, that, I mean, it was decent to, to watch. You know, a lot of people said it was boring. I didn't find it was it boring per se. Because um, they both stood in front of each other probably most of the fight. It wasn't going on to the ropes. It wasn't a lot of running or anything like that. So it was it was a pretty decent fight. I just thought Pacquiao, uh, his age showed. And he threw a lot of punches, 
but a lot, a lot of it was landing on Ugas. And Ugas won with the more effective uh, punches and boxing ability. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, good fight yesterday. Um, Manny went into the fight as a three to one favorite. Ugas took the fight on 11 days notice after Spence suffered the retina injury. Um, and also, I just want to say to Spence, hopefully you have a full recovery. Um, it looks good as far as the surgery is concerned. Um, but yeah, shout out to Spence. You know, hopefully he'll be able to get the fight with Ugas for, you know, almost all of the marbles at welterweight. Now, for me, what I noticed out the gate in this fight was just the size difference. Like Ugas looked huge. He looked like he was about a middleweight or something like that along those lines. And man, he looked like a very small welterweight. You know, and on top of that, Manny doesn't, you can tell, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting older, too. So I know how it's more difficult to be able to, like, get the shred in your body that you're looking for because you it's, you got to rest a little bit more now um, and do things more in bursts and then kind of recuperate a little bit. So you can see in his physique that he's not the same um, Manny Pacquiao that he was several years back. And so, but again, the first thing I noticed was just that huge, massive size advantage that Ugas had. Now, how that affected Ugas or impacted the fight and helped Ugas was the fact that a lot of times when Manny was trying to throw those combinations that he's known for, he just couldn't land anything because all Ugas with, with his forearms, like Ugas' forearms are so big that when he hold his hands up, Manny just couldn't get anything through the guard. You know, just almost impossible for him to do if Ugas put his hands up. And then on top of that, sometimes Ugas just took a step back. And Manny, at this particular stage in his career, he just couldn't take advantage of it because he would just miss. Because the guy was just that much bigger um, than Manny Pacquiao. Um, Ugas impressed me in this fight, you know, because the moment wasn't too big for him. Um, he showed a, a high ring IQ. And if you look at Manny after the fight, Manny was more busted up in this fight than I've seen Manny in a long time. You know, now, as far as how the fight was scored, I had to fight. Now, this has been very generous to Manny, right? Like I was any round that was like could have been even or like Ugas might have inked it out. I gave those to Manny. So I'm saying like just being extremely generous to Manny. I had a seven five. Now, it could easily be. Nine to two. It could have been something along those lines, but I'm saying just being extremely generous to Manny, knowing that he's a living legend, knowing that certain judges may, you know, just want to give Manny certain rounds just because they don't want to, you know, just subconsciously, you know, that's, that tends to happen, you know. So, but I had Ugas, it was a clear victory for Ugas. Nothing for Manny to be, to hold his head about, but at the same time, um, it was a clear victory for. Um, the younger man, even though Ugas is 35 years old. To me, what I noticed with Manny, as far as his, um, what he had going for him, really the right jab was the only thing that I noticed that he could land kind of consistently, but he wasn't effective with any of his combinations. Like it was a couple times that he landed a little bit early in the fight. And then I, I noticed on his last stand around the 10th round, he, he did it again. I gave him the tip on the strength of that. But again, that probably did go to Ugas because if you look at the punch stats, towards the end of the fight, it was close in terms of punches landed. But by the time you made it to like the sixth, seventh round, each round, land Manny's accuracy decreased. And then Ugas was landing more punches in the latter part of the fight. And like the 11th and 12th wasn't even close um, as far as being able to give Manny any of those rounds. Ugas was sharp, he was quick. Um, but what I, it seemed like his timing was off a little bit too, where he wasn't just, even though he landed more accurately than Manny, he wasn't just like sharp shooting him or anything like that. Now, moving forward, Manny just doesn't have that spark or endurance against someone like uh, Ugas, who's like still in his prime and a high level caliber opponent. Yeah. I mean, it was a great victory as far as the punch stats are concerned. Manny, um, landed 130 punches and he threw 815 punches and that was at a 16% clip. Ugas landed 151 punches 
and then he threw half the amount of punches that Manny threw at 405, and then he was double more in accurate than Manny in the, as he landed 37% of his shots. You know, um, excellent win for Ugas. You know, I just want to say shout out to uh, Tevin Farmer, big brother. You know, they look very similar to each other, just a bigger version. But, um, you know, excellent win for him, you know, and I'm happy for him. And then I also want to shout out, don't take offense to this, my brother, but that's a bad little side piece you got, though. Shout out to you, sir. Congratulations. Wait, let me see if my woman around here. I'm done. Yeah, you guys covered it, covered it pretty much. Um, I scored it similar to you, Will, uh, 115-113. And that, again, that's being generous to Manny because, you know, j- judges, M- Manny was active in the sense of he was storing, as you could, as you said, by the comfy box, but he wasn't landing a lot. But some judges' eyes don't care if you land a lot, if, you, if you're throwing more. Uh, so I had a 115-113, but it was clear that Ugas was the winner. Interesting enough, he had the height advantage, Ugas did, but I, I found that he was, like, fighting a little bit more leaned over. So it, it kind of like he was giving up some of the height, but he he did still manage to do a great job of using that jab to keep the distance. Uh, he found a lot of success with that overhand right throughout the fight. Uh, he was just catching Pacquiao. Um, and like you said, Pacquiao was kind of bloodied up because of it. And, um, you know, he, he just fought well overall. Uh, he was disciplined. He was super economical with his punches. Another thing that I, I, I like is that when Manny started to get active, he wouldn't really let him stay active. He would throw like whenever Manny was trying to throw a flurry, he would throw what I, what I was calling a combo breaker. So he would throw like a jab or something to disarm Manny. So he kind of had the like mid combo. Manny kind of didn't react to that and kind of stopped throwing for a little bit. And then maybe he tried to fire it up again. Maybe he didn't. Uh, for Manny, I don't know if it was ring rust, old age, or both. Um, it was definitely old age because his foot, his footwork just wasn't the same. And I kind of got the, the inclination from that just listening to Freddie Roach interview um, going into it, even when they were, you know, preparing to fight Spence. You know, he was saying there were some days Manny just had to take off or some days where Manny would just like, you know, I'm going to just jump rope today or I'm going to just, you know, do something that wasn't what he would normally do. And so I kind of saw that coming going into it. But, yeah, he just couldn't find consistent momentum in his fight. And he looked gassed later in the fight, too, which which I thought was a little bit unlike him. But did you have anything else? Yeah, I had the I, – actually, I, I forgot to even tell my score. Uh, I did say that that Ugas swept the second half of the fight. I did score at 117 to 111 for Ugas. Um it was maybe one round. I think maybe the, the fourth round, I probably would have given the pack out and it would have been 116, 112. But I, I really couldn't score more than that. But I, I was interested when the bell rang, I was interested in what the scorecard was going to be. I'll just put that out there. But I'm glad that, you know, they were able to give Ugas the victory. Yeah, the right man had his hand raised in the end. Um, the only thing that I was going to mention is real brief is that in that sort of fight, and again, Manny is going to have a difficult time with that's a tall order against somebody who's the size of Ugas and at Manny's age to be able to sustain the level of energy that he would have needed in order to be victorious against Ugas. But I do think Manny would have beat Ugas in his prime. There's no doubt in my mind that he would have been able to do that because there were certain times where if he just had a little bit more energy that I think that he probably would have connected more. Manny was much more, he, he had that engine and then he also was relentless. You know, so he'll put more pressure. I think he would, it was might have got tired, like not only physically, but mentally trying to keep Manny off of him. But the point I was making is like a calculated, methodical type fight that they fought most of the fight was going to favor Ugas with his economical style. And so that played a factor in Manny's like lack of effectiveness throughout the course of the fight because it just the pace of it favored Ugas. Yeah, for sure. But um, that's a good segue into our next topic. Where do both of these fighters go from here? I guess I'll start with the winner. Um, I think that this is kind of a blessing in disguise because I think Ugas, he, um, he, he's always looking at those other guys and wanting those challenges against a Spence, against a Crawford. So I don't think the Spence fight is just right there to be made. And I think that's what's going to be next for Yudanis Ugas. But I can also see him 
being the guy who would give Terrence Crawford um, an opportunity to get another belt. You know, I can see that they have history together because Ulis defeated Crawford in the amateurs. And so they can play that up, you know, as far as the selling point of a fight. But I think, like I said, the, the normal or the um, most likely scenario for him would be to just unify against Spence since they're both PPC guys. And they were projected to fight before. It's just the Manny Pacquiao fight came available. And obviously you will take taking on the living legend as opposed to fighting your Danis Ugas, which wouldn't be as much money, wouldn't be as much uh, notoriety um, and whatnot. But again, most likely scenario, it would be your Danis Ugas versus Errol Spence. It would be good for us because we wouldn't have to make another you know, do another show about it because we already have our predictions on record, unless you want to change now since Spence has had the retina injury and then he's also going to be off for a considerable period of time. Um, so we might have to do it again. But as far as the living legend, Manny Pacquiao, Pacquiao has a couple, of, he has three options. Obviously he can just retire. I mean, what else can a man do? He's an eight time division uh, world champion. Um, he's done it all. He's a living legend. He can just retire or he can just he can retire and do nothing if he wanted to. Or he can go back to the Philippines. I know he's a congressman um, there and I'm hearing that he wants to run for president. So that's something that he might want to just focus in on and, you know, concentrate on that. But if he's going to continue to box, this is what I would like for Manny. It's two main two things he can do. Actually, he could take both of these fights, but one fight would be contingent on him winning the other fight now he can fight somebody like mikey garcia that would be a huge event and it's somebody his size you know like yesterday part a major reason why he was ineffective is just that the guy was just too big for him at this stage of his career he won't have that issue against mikey garcia now that could be a tough fight because uh, mikey garcia has a style very similar to juan manuel marquez where he might be timing pacquiao or pacquiao's physical attributes the speed that he has, the, how awkward he is, that might throw Garcia off. And that could, I think that'll be a very good fight. And it's a fight that will sell as well. They can do it in Texas. You know, Pacquiao fought a couple times in Texas and he stole out um, that Jerry Jones uh, arena or stadium. So that's something that that's a possibility. Or what he can do is he can set up a catchway fight and still fight for Josh Taylor's 140 pound belts and he can become the unified super welterweight champion. Now, he's had the super welterweight belt, but some that's that's the tricky thing. It's two reasons why calling him an eight-time champion, some people don't like to say that because of the Margarito fight when he fought him. That was at a catch weight, but it was also Margarito. He really wasn't considering him the champion. So that's the reason why some people throw that one out the window even though that was a huge task to take on him at that stage of his career but also they talk about the Ricky Hatton fight because that was wasn't for the WBA it wasn't for the WBC it wasn't for the WBO and it wasn't for the IBF it was for the IBO championship when he clocked and knocked out Ricky Hatton and put him to sleep back in 2009 so one last thing that he could do and which I think will motivate him and will be the fight um, Josh Taylor for the 140 pound strap and he's fighting somebody even though Josh Taylor is a big super welterweight I don't think that he would pose the same imposing type of stature and figure as the Udenis Ugas I think that would be something for another guy that he could handle better than he would be able to try to face some of those uh, bigger welterweights last thing I'm gonna say is this Manny please you know don't because yesterday I'm, I'm, I'm saying this don't fight any of those welterweights like leave it alone you got keith thurman keith thurman was just coming off of a like lackluster victory you know and he got rocked you know in that fight and he was coming off a layoff he was coming off an injury um keith is part-time boxer so when you got him that was a good time to catch keith right um yesterday spence would have retired you buddy you know spence would have would have put him in a body bag crawford would have would have dazzled him and put him in a body bag and then you catch one of those other guys they might put your body bag in a body bag so leave that alone if you consider fighting again then go ahead and look for guys like mikey garcia josh taylor and i think that those are um, tasks that you can have i'm going to do the opposite of what you did and address manny first 
Um, you pretty much said it. I would I'll just piggyback by saying, yeah, it really depends on what he wants to do. There, there is what you said about his reign at 140, which is true. So if he wanted to get that one last crack while he's still able-bodied and still has the name to do so, then, you know, by all means. I think that he owes nothing to the sport. If this were his last fight, I wouldn't be mad at it. So it depends on what he wants to do. I could see him going either route. It's also hard for, you know, historically, it's hard for boxers who are great to just hang it up that way. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he went for one last crack, probably probably at 140. I, I really do hope that he he does leave his welterweights alone, though, because that's just it's just not what he wants, I don't think. Now, as for Ugas, he's made it clear that he wants to unify. And Spence is right there in PBC, so it's an easy fight to make. However, as we know, he recently had that surgery for his retina injury, which was originally described as a tear, but it was then called a detachment or break. And so we're really not sure of his timetable for return. I haven't seen anything about him having like a definitive timetable. I will say that um, I was reading an article that SB Nation, their, their kind of boxing sector bat left hook, they did an interview with the retina surgeon a few days ago and this surgeon in particular wasn't involved with that surgery but he said that he would typically advise a fighter in Spence's shoes to consider retirement because of the magnitude of how important the retina is to the eye and to the vision but he also said that he could possibly return to full contact in as early as three to four months depending on how the actual surgery went which we don't no one knows that yet publicly at least so this would mean that Spence won't be back training until December and we'll fight again probably until the spring. Now, this could align, but due to the surgery, I'm not going to make that assumption. I think the most likely scenario is that he faces a WBA mandatory. Um, they have a goofy amount of belts, but Jamal James is the WBA world champion, which is apparently notched under Uga's super champion belt. But he's PBC, and they did fight in 2016, and Uga's won by unanimous decision. But maybe at this point in their careers, they he gets a rematch. I don't know. Virgil Ortiz is the WBA gold champ, but I don't think that one is very likely. I think a mandatory is probably the most likely option, though, in the, in the long term. I do think that of the PBC champions, he'd be most likely to unify with, with Crawford, but I don't think that's in the immediate cards. Yeah, for your Dennis Ugas, I think Ugas is one of those guys, and he's in a weird situation because he's the type of fighter who's willing to fight anyone, pretty much. But you know, he, he'll likely be held to whoever his promoter says he should fight or his management company says he should fight. Because out of all the guys who, who are, when you think about who's going to give uh, an up-and-comer like a Jerron Ennis or Virgil Ortiz, who would most likely out of all the top welterweights to give them a shot, it seems like Ugas would be the one to have that much, not that much problem doing that because – no younger guy is high risk for him because he's one of those guys. He he didn't, you know, he wasn't, he's not a big seller. He's not a big uh, fighter that's getting a, 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 these huge checks. And he probably would welcome, you know, a challenge like that. And plus he has, the you know, the Cuban style to give them tons of trouble. That said, what I think will, is most likely to happen, I think it will be that Errol Spence fight. I think that's the fight they were talking about before the Pacquiao fight happened. I think that's the the fight that's, uh, but a lot of that's contingent on on Errol Spence, you know, recovery, as you said, Danny. And I, I do see if they, if if they're going to try to build towards Smith's fight, I can see them taking a a, man, a mandatory, and I can see them taking on Jamal James as a you know as a rematch, you know, to to uh, because you know for Jamal James' official title, I can see that happening, you know, as a. You know, one of those fights that comes on a PBC telecast, you know, to showcase Ugas so he can get, you know, his his check and his exposure after his win. You know, I can I can definitely see that. But if there's anyone out there that's more likely to cross over and fight a Terrence Crawford or anyone else, it's probably Ugas. Now for Manny Pacquiao, I think Manny should just, you know, it's time. It's time for him to hang it up. He's not the Manny Pacquiao that, that we know. He shows some flashes that he can throw punches and things of that nature. But I'm not sure I would even want to see him against, you know, it's nothing to prove really much at this point. Yes, he can, he can probably fight a 140-pounder like Josh Taylor. But even if he wins that fight, he, of course, he's taking punishment. 
and while he can officially say, yeah, I was, uh, you know, the official champion 140, I finally got it. It doesn't necessarily change his all-time great status. Like, it doesn't really going to move him up or down. And that was the, the allure of the Errol Spence fight. And even if he would have fought to a draw with Spence, I think it, it might have upped his standing just a little bit as an all-time great if he put up a, a decent fight. But in this the scenario we just saw, it's probably the best thing that could have happened to Pacquiao. And, and, and I can say he's a, he's kind of an unofficial winner here because at this point we see he, 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 was, he got to see where he was at, you know, take a little punishment, but he didn't get stopped. He didn't get beat up where he's going to be affected, you know. And like one of you, one of you guys said, if this would have been Spence or, or Crawford, it, it wouldn't have ended well for him. So he, he gets to see where he's at. He gets to, you know, he, he, he can think about hanging it up and he can, he can uh, move on. As a Pacquiao fan, if, I, if, if he's going to fight again, he should fight either somebody, he, he can fight somebody like a, uh, I don't even know. It, it'll have to be someone that doesn't pose a, a threat for him. And I wouldn't have a problem seeing him, you know, if he wants to go do the exhibition thing, he can fight a McGregor. If he's that, if he's strapped for cash, like the rumors say, he can fight a McGregor or somebody or, or, or fight on an exhibition circuit. But for now, I just, you know, it's time for him to, to hang it up. And it's, it's, it's and interesting about this fight. The biggest loser of this fight is actually Errol Spence because Errol Spence is the one who loses out on a payday. Now he's he has to fight, and, you know, an Ugas or, or Terrence Crawford or whoever it is. No fighter is going to, around his weight class, is going to, you know, come in, you know, the type of money that Manny Pacquiao fight is going to going to bring you know unless this unless he moves up unless he moves up and fights the fights that he's probably not going to fight like a uh um a charlo a jamel charlo that fight's not going to happen because they have the same trainer uh of course there was those there were the rumors of him moving up to fight canelo i i doubt it and then, you know that's, of course we already spoke of that's not a good physical move for him even though it will bring a lot of money but then he has, you know, some of his friends around, you know, the lower weight classes like Adrian Broner that he can fight for some money. That's a good name. Jermonte Davis is a name if he wants to move up the welterweight. But those aren't like, those can bring money, but they're not really, I don't see how that, how that does anything positive for him. So this Pacquiao fight was probably the, the, the biggest loss that Errol Spence has taken as far as financial wise, because it, 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 it just, uh, it, it's ended up bad for him, you know, and hopefully he makes a full recovery and, and comes back. But still as a, as a boxy fan, I'm not talking as a casual fan or someone who likes to be entertained as a boxy fan. I think Errol Spence versus Ugas is one of the best fights that can be made. You mind if I jump in real quick? Yeah, sure. There's a couple of things. One, as far as Spence is concerned, like, really, man, like, bless the brother, God bless him, you know what I mean? He's just, hopefully for him, that he doesn't suffer any lingering effects as far as his vision. Like, that's something that you can't control. Like, if you have some an injury like that. So, I don't look at it like that's his, his biggest concern should be his health at this particular point. And if he's able to get a full recovery, then everything else is just icing on a cake. You know what I mean? But I can't really look, I don't look at it like that because I, I can see if he did something, he didn't make weight or um, it was something else that he did. But if it's just out of your control as far as you getting an injury, then, you know, like I say, it just it was unfortunate. And like I say, anything else for him, you know, moving forward, he survived, you know, that car injury. And so anything else after that for him, I'm sure is just blessing in disguise. You know, it's just cherry on, on top. But, you know, I don't look at it like that when it comes to Spence. Now, as far as Manny, Manny, if see, the thing is, is this. He can look at this loss. You think that he's saying that, okay, I looked this way. I couldn't do this against Ugas. He could look at it a totally different way. Like, man, I couldn't get up for no dang on Ugas. I was ready for Spence, you know, and I'm like, I just couldn't, I didn't have it against this guy because of the fact that I just couldn't truly get up for him. He could be looking at it like that. Now, I used to see fighters back in the day. I'll give you an example, like Vander Holyfield. I used to see him fight against certain guys, Fred Okendo, Larry Donald, John Ruiz, the first fight, Vaughn Bean, uh, Burt Cooper. I see him fight against those guys, and 
he didn't look like Holyfield. And so when they were saying like, okay, Holyfield's about to fight Riddick Bowe. He's about to fight uh, Mike Tyson. I'm like, oh, heck no. Based on what I saw against those guys that he was facing, he really couldn't get up for those dudes. But when his antennas were up, then you saw the best of Andrew Holyfield and he can compete against anybody. Lennox Lewis, he can compete against, he looked really good at that fight. I want to say it was like June 8, 2002 against Hussein Rockman when they fought. And he uh, busted up Rockman. But at that time, the way Rockman was in his career, you thought that that was going to be a pretty solid, easy victory for Rockman. But shoot, what, he was up for that fight. So that's how, like, he's been fighting so long. And I think the only way he's going to give it up is if his wife, because I saw the look on her face as he was taking that punishment. Now, she might be like, you know what, man, I think it's time for you to go ahead and let it go. But you don't know about his financial situation either. Manny has that huge entourage that, and he's re- really somebody who's does a lot of philanthropy and he takes care of a lot of people and he has such a giving personality that he may be willing to sacrifice you know some of himself in order to be able to feed those people because you see how people love him it's not that's not phony you know people understand you know his compassion for his people and how he helps people out so that's in him as well if it was about just he his legacy he could have retired a long time ago you know what I'm saying? All of these fights that he's taking are very risky, you know, at this stage of his career. I, I don't see him retiring unless his wife is the one who who um, makes the strongly makes the suggestion that he retires. I don't see him not after that fight, because it's still what it was a clear victory for Ugas, but it wasn't like he was just whitewashed. And he might still have a little taste in his mouth, you know, for another supper. You know what I mean? Another, you know, shot at glory. You know, and he might want to end on a high note. I don't know. But and then last thing I'm going to say, oh, because you would be a part of my language, folks. I typically don't do this on, on um, this, these podcasts. He would be a damn fool to fight somebody like Jamal James. <laughs> I was watching Jamal James fight. Man, I was in Dominican Republic. It was the same time that on the way out, that's when uh, Pernell Whitaker, you know, met his untimely demise. Um, well, I actually had two more days. I think that was July 14th. But I think the day before, I watched Jamal James versus Antonio DeMarco. And we were on that trip, we would listen to a lot of Nipsey Hustle. You know what I'm saying? We'll, it, the whole trip was surrounded, you know, by certain lyrics that Nipsey had. Then lo and behold, that night, Jamal James, he was looking like Nipsey Hustle. He was getting his, his bail run a couple of times. And I remember my homie was like, come on, Nip, you know, come on, Nipsey, you know, don't, you know, don't let him whoop you. And he ended up, you know, inking out a decision against Antonio DeMarco. I think that was Antonio DeMarco, somebody like that who hadn't fought in a long time. And man, again, if Ugas fights somebody like that at this particular time in his career, when he's already fought those guys like that before, his thing was to try to finally get one of those dudes inside the ring, especially after he, I know he he felt like he beat Porter. A lot of us felt like he beat Porter. At the very least, that was a draw. So I, you can't go back now. Now, if you end up getting one of those guys in the ring, you lose, and you want to try to work yourself back up, then you might want to fight some of those guys, and, or um, Ennis or Virgil Ortiz or somebody like that. That'd be cool then. But when you are up at the top, you just knocked off a legend. Man, you better wait for a Spence. You better like get a Crawford in the ring, like one of those upper echelon guys. So you can really solidify your claim as the best war to wait. And then those guys have to come to you and your market value is up there so high. You mess around and fight one of those dudes and you can't get up for it. You look bad. Then you just like diminishing what you accomplished. He's at a high right now. Don't go down, man. So, yeah, that, that's how I look at it. No, I'm with you. I, I would just the only reason I threw his name out is because of the timing of Crawford. You know, the Crawford Porter fight hasn't I don't think it went the first bid yet. So we know that's still a few months out. And then we don't know what's going to happen with Spence. And so just with the uncertainty of all that and how the WBA acts sometimes, you know, I just threw that name out because he is a WBA quote-unquote champion. You know what I mean? So who knows? But no, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, I think I wasn't saying it in that way. I'm just saying like for him, I wouldn't consider that. I would do my best to avoid, you know, somebody the caliber of a Jamal James because he was beating the mess out of Jamal James when they fought him when he fought him before. I just it wouldn't do anything for him outside of just staying busy. And then the other thing is, Ugas is thirty five years old. He don't have time to be fooling around. You got that beautiful lady on your side, man. Get that money, bro. You know what I mean? You want to make her happy. 
No, it is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I see what you're saying about Pacquiao not retiring, but I, I can also see Freddie Roach having that conversation with him. And if Pacquiao wants to fight, he can still, if he just needs money, I mean, he can fight a, a, a Conor McGregor who would happily, you know, you know, give his, his, his brains to get, you know, beat up and, and make Manny look good for. So, but, but again, I mean, Manny's going to do what Manny's going to do. You know, personally, I think he's probably is going to retire, you know, and, and, and live out his life as a politician in the Philippines. Now, to the Smith's point, no, I didn't mean it as far as he's at fault. I don't want anyone to take that to think that he's at fault and he loses because he did something. This is not like a Shikari Richardson or anything like that, where a decision that he made led him to that point, intentionally or unintentionally. You know, it is un- it's just an unfortunate event where he was, you know, injured. But, you know, you lose that, even though he, he wins as far as his health, you know, he gets to keep, he knows it early, so he doesn't go into a fight like a Pacquiao where that, you know, you never know what can happen in these fights. But that, I mean, as far as, you know, the biggest name he can fight today right now at this point, he loses on that, you know, and, and this is a fight he trained for, you know, you spend money, you know, spend money as far as, you know, training, paying your trainers and all that, your facilities, he did, he did all of that and the injury happens. And, and, you know, and that's more the point that I'm trying to make is that, yeah, he ends up losing because he doesn't get that fight. And, and that's probably the biggest name. And, and he's probably not going to get, because if Pacquiao would have won, it would have been all right because Smith could still fight a Pacquiao. But now he can't fight that name that he wants. And the only na- name that's going to, you know, peak casual fans like that. And I can't even say a Crawford would because, the, you know, most casual fans just know Crawford when you say his name. They don't really – they haven't watched his fights like boxing fans watches his fights, you know. So it's, it's hard to say, you know. When it comes to these casual fans who don't know a lot of boxing, they, don't, they may not know a, a Terrence Crawford and what he can do, but they know Adrian Broner, they know a Tank Davis, and they know a Canelo Alvarez. And that's the point I'm coming from. It sounds crazy and ignorant, but this is, that, this is the truth when it comes to casual fans. I just think Spence still got, if he's back healthy, I just think he's still got a lot of options left. He's still got like Keith Thurman, he's still got Crawford. He's still got those those fights that are there for him. It's just more so getting back healthy. And, you know, you like, hopefully this is not career ending, you know, career ending injury. You know what I mean? You just never know. It doesn't look like it is. But, you know, it might be some lingering effects. Then the other thing is, you know, you got guys like, for instance, when um, my man, man, Dimitri Pirov, Remember when he was getting prepared for Gennady Golovkin, he had that unfortunate uh, injury where he was never able to fight again. And that right there was, to me, was like a 50-50 fight. Pierre was a bad boy. You know what I mean? He could have probably, you know, it would have been a um, very intriguing matchup between him and Golovkin. Who knows where his career would have went had he been able to beat somebody like Gennady Golovkin. But he, his career was ended due to that injury. So, I mean, in some of those situations, you want that as much as possible because that is an icon that's a legend that would be you know on your resume you know it's very lucrative i mean it, it really all of the boxes are checked as far as that type of fight that you want in your career that's one of those moments but at the same time when you have an unfortunate injury you know you just now you got to put that in the lord's hands you know what i mean in terms of how you're going to be able to bounce back if you're going to be able to bounce back in whichever direction that happens whether or not you're able to fight again, you just want to use that as a teachable moment, um, still be an inspiration to others, you know, regardless of however it goes, you know what I mean? But you just have to put that in the Lord's hands. Yeah, well said. So moving right along, because I know, you know, we've, you know, we talked as much as we could about this topic. I know we can, among us, we can talk more because this is what we do for all, all you listeners. This is what we do. We talk boxing. But for y'all, we're going to, you know, move around to the, to, to the next topic you know, because because this is what we do. So there was another fight uh, on the undercard of the Pacquiao Ugas fight: uh, Robert the Ghost Guerrero versus the uh, vicious Victor Ortiz. Uh, did you guys see that fight? And if you did, what were your thoughts on it? Yep, I saw it. Um, quick tail of the tape: Guerrero is 37 and six, 20 knockouts, 38 years old. He last fought September 2019 and was on a three-fight win streak going into this fight. Victor Ortiz, 32-73, 25 knockouts, 34 years old. Last fought Devin Alexander to a majority draw in February 2018. And for what is worth, that majority draw was highly disputed at the time. Um, 
I personally sport this 96-94 in favor of Guerrero. It was a 10-rounder. Guerrero outlanded Ortiz 142-127 overall, according to the copy box. I thought it was a close, hard-fought victory for Ghosts overall. There was nothing too flashy in this fight. It was clear that both were past their primes, but it wasn't a bad fight, and both fighters did show grit up to what their bodies would allow. I didn't see a whole lot of things that stood out to me. Yeah, that just made me say, like, oh, I like this about the fight, or or this fighter did this. It was... It was just a good overall scrap. That's that's all I got. Um, I came into it with no expectations, and it lived up to that, if that makes sense. But uh, it was a good overall fight. I don't know where either fighter goes from here, but uh, congrats to Ghost on the comeback win. Yeah, I, I, I checked out this fight, and I call this, uh, both these two fighters, I call it the, the Birdo Freeway to the Mayweather sweepstakes. <laughs> you know, because both of them got to the, you know, their Mayweather fights from beating Andre Berto, who was a pretty good fighter in his own right. But this fight, uh, even when it was announced, I thought it was going to be an entertaining fight based off of their styles, their demeanors, you know, their personalities, uh, and where their careers have gone. This actually would have been an interesting fight, I would say, about, you know, seven to ten years ago. It would have been really, really interesting to watch because of how these guys match up. Because uh, in some ways, they even though they they can be a similar level, they're polar opposites. You know, uh, I think Guerrero is a, is a far superior fighter as far as mentality and what he uses at his disposal. While or- Victor Ortiz is more phys- was more physically talented, and I and I also thought that Guerrero took more wear and tear in his career than Victor Ortiz took. When I look at Victor Ortiz, even his more recent losses, it's more. It seemed like. Maybe if he prepared more or took his career seriously, more seriously, he might have had more of a chance. Whereas Guerrero, when I look at his losses and more recent losses, it's like he's given as much as he could, and he he looks like a look like a worn out fighter. So the way these and, and it's interesting because if you take Victor Ortiz's talents, like his physical attributes and stuff, and you give it to Robert Guerrero, his career would have been probably different. So this fight was a was a good fight. Um, it was entertaining to watch. Actually, I, I think both of them started to gas in the, in 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 uh, after the after five rounds, and, and in the second half they were fighting gas. But you can see their heart on display. And even Victor Ortiz, you know, he's he surprised me and showing some grit. You know, he didn't get too discouraged. Uh, uh, he, he showed that maybe he's serious now. But for both, I think it is kind of a little too late. But I, I think. They match up well at this point, you know. I won't mind seeing it again if they if they want to fight again. But um, I had Guerrero, you know, edging it with ninety six and ninety four. I don't have a problem with this being a a draw. Um, but you can tell, you know, they, they these they gave it their all, and, and you know what? And especially Guerrero, I think he's the type of guy that, that I'm not sure if I, I how many fights I want to see him take after that. I, I didn't like the way he looked in that Omar. Figueroa fight and it could just be Omar Figueroa um but even in this fight you know he showed shades of the ghost but um after again after five rounds they both were kind of kind of gassed um even though I'm surprised that Guerrero hung in there because I you know I, th- I thought that you know Victor Ortiz has more left than, than Guerrero did Victor Ortiz still has you know some more to give I think in my opinion and Robert Guerrero, but shout out to, to both guys. They they were able to, you know, uh, get a payday for the families and still put on a show and show some shades of, of, of why they were who they were years ago. Yeah, that was an evenly matched fight. You know, very good matchmaking. I would say, you know, on that card, you had really three out of the four guys was uh, Mayweather victims. When I look at both dudes, um, Ortiz and Guerrero. It's just, to me, Guerrero is just a more serious man than Victor Ortiz. Victor Ortiz, you know, I'm not knocking him in any way when I say this, and I'm trying to say this in the best way possible. He's more like an airhead when it comes to um, certain things. I just, I think his, his, and again, this is no knock against, I just, I'm looking at his personality, especially for a fighter, right? Like, even a situation when he fought Mayweather, like even in a pre-fight when Mayweather um, like 
strangled him a little bit like his response to it you would think it was just like he was treating him like a boy right and then even in a fight when he was headbutting mayweather and he like looking at the referee you know not paying attention and just those little moments that you know you lose focus you know he's he, he does that from time to time in fights and a lot of times that leads to his demise in his bigger fights that he's had and those type of things you want to see from a Guerrero. Guerrero is the opposite where, you know, like I said, he just carries himself more mature. You know, he's more of a man and he's going to be more responsible. Um, and I just think that's the biggest difference between both guys. And I, like you said, Ortiz is supremely more talented. Um, and I think that if he didn't have those lapses, he would have got a lot more out of Because he does have, you know, skills. He's, he's pretty quick. He's strong. Um, he has a nice, powerful left hand. And so he has some really good high-level that he could have took. Himself. But he's all over the place. And I'm surprised that he's still only 34 years old. I thought he was uh, older than that. But as far as the fight is concerned, what I saw, I thought it was close throughout. Um, I personally had it a draw. I could see Guerrero um, getting a victory. I could have saw Ortiz getting a victory as well because uh, nobody truly had the upper hand throughout the fight. Guerrero landed more. Um, he landed 142 punches out of 650, and that was 22% um, accuracy, where Ortiz landed 127 punches, and he threw 403 overall, and he was a little bit more accurate, uh, where he was he landed 32% of his shots. Both probably were a little rusty, you know, as well. That kind of contributed to maybe them gassing so much towards the middle because um, – I hadn't fought since 2009 and the other hadn't fought since 2018. But I was, you know, pleasantly surprised at how hard they fought throughout that fight, especially Ortiz, because a lot of times Ortiz, to me, he can give up. But even when he was cracked a few times, he showed a lot of heart. He showed a lot of grit. When I saw the fight was announced, you know, it was like a time machine. You know, I was like, dang, man, that's a good fight right there. But unfortunately, you know, if it was 2010, then probably it would have been um, a barn burner. You know what I mean? It would, it would have been something that probably could have been the main event if it was back during that time. Guerrero did a lot of good body work. One thing I do notice about Ortiz and the referee, he, the thing about Ortiz is he headbutts his way to get inside. He's ever in trouble. He's going to use his head to get out of trouble. And so I thought a couple of times that the referee could have warned him um, and possibly even took taking a point away from him. And like I said, like halfway through the fight, it seemed like they were fighting at half speed. Last thing I'm going to say, uh, well, two things I'm going to say. Now, this right here, you know, I don't know what this does for each guy. Now, if they're going to keep having these guys face guys who are a little bit past it, then cool. You know, like this fight could lead to one of those guys fight somebody like a Josecito Lopez, a Soto Carras, or, you know, get Carlos Quintana out of retirement or something like that. But I'm hearing them say, or you might have, um, this might set up the much anticipated trilogy between Ortiz and Berto or Guerrero versus Berto, you know, in a rematch. I don't know. Um, but please, 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 fellas, stay away from the young guns because you, you'll end up getting hurt messing around with somebody like a Virgil Ortiz, or are they saying that uh, Guerrero was next in line for Boots Ennis? No way, shape, form, or fashion. That fight is two, three rounds most at most. And, you know, one of those guys could seriously get hurt against those young, sharp shooting um, fighters. But all in all, you know, at the level that both guys are at, it was a pretty good fight. It was really competitive, and it could have went either way. All right, so we're going to end up you know, talking about the problem child, Jake Paul. He has a fight coming up. I want to say it's next week against the chosen one, Tyrone Woodley. Um, what do you guys think is going to happen between those two combatants? Oh, I can't even say. This is one of those fights that I, I just can't get up for. Just based off of, of Tyrone Woodley's experience, I, I think he he should take it. But who knows? I mean, who knows what? agreements they're making or if this is actually you know really for real it, it it's hard for me to get up for these fights it's almost like a a, a media circus but shouts out to both guys you know they they, they got a you know a pay-per-view fight you know and, and they're getting 
they get definitely getting paid for it. You know, if, if someone was paying me just to fight anybody, just you know, without any experience for that type of money, sure, I'll probably take it. So, shouts out to both guys. I, I hope it's very entertaining. Hopefully, Snoop Dogg is on the on the on the commentating mic again to make it, you know, give it that extra that it <laughs> that it needs. But again, I just can't get up. All right, so we got Jake Paul. Um, like I say, the problem child is 24 years old, orthodox fighter, 6'1", 76 inch reach. He's fighting uh, Tyrone Woodley, who is 5'9", 74 inch reach. Both guys, like I say, are righties. It's going to be an interesting fight. The most interesting fight that Jake Paul has um, had in his short career. Like I say, he's 3-0 on Woodley. This is his first fight. Um, first professional fight, we all know that he was a tremendous uh, UFC fighter. Now, Jake Paul has really gotten a lot better um, based on what I've seen. The first fight that I saw, he, this is like a little over a year, you know, since he's been fighting. That first fight against Gibb, um, he looked, I mean, he won the fight. He got a first round KO, but at the same time, you know, the level of the opponent you know, wasn't much, you know, to write home about. And then we know Nate, I don't know what Nate was doing <laughs> in that fight as far as, you know, he took it as if he was just going to street fight Jake and Jake just kept lining him up for the right hand and eventually put him to sleep. So you really can't gauge where Jake is as far as those two fights. And then he was supposed to have a tougher, stiffer opponent and Ben Askren, you would think that Ben Askren would have been a tougher opponent, but Ben Askren was coming off a hip surgery, hip replacement surgery, um, and he looked like he was just there to collect the payday. And Jake caught him, you know, first round KO. As far as Woodley, Woodley, like I say, this is going to be the toughest opponent that he's faced. I just don't know how Woodley is going to respond because, you know, being a UFC, you use, you know, hands and feet. Now, just punching, you know, I think it's three rounds. It could be two, I mean, not three rounds. I know it's eight rounds, but I don't know if it's two minutes or three minutes. But regardless, you know how it is, Danny and, and, and Bill. You know, like when you had those gloves on, you throwing those punches, that your arms and stuff like that get heavy. So I don't know how effective he's going to be as the fight goes on, if the fight goes on, unless Jake just clocks him and knock him out then, you know, that, that's, you know, that can always happen because Jake is a very, very powerful puncher, especially with the seasoning that he's been getting, you know, in this training. So you see he's putting in the work. He may seem like he's not, you know, totally um, glued in when it comes to fighting, but he's definitely been doing some serious training and preparation for these fights. Um, my thing is this, is that I want to see if Woodley is able to land clean shots on Jake, how he's able to take it because he's going, he appears to be a powerful puncher. Again, I don't know because I haven't really seen him in an actual boxing match. Here's the deal. I think that if Woodley's stamina doesn't just drop off the map after like three or four rounds, if he's able to get to the third, fourth, fifth round, then I think he can have some success. Jake is going to be very, very dangerous against anybody those first couple rounds because he packs that punch, especially round one, two, and probably round three. He hasn't gone to round three yet, but I think so that's the difference between an amateur and a professional. So they say the difference between a, a pro and an amateur is stamina. Like, that's the biggest difference. And so Jake, he's been looking tremendous against these guys early, but how is he going to be able to hold up if he makes it to round four, round five, because he's in uncharted territory, and Woodley is a professional athlete. So I'm thinking that he should be able to um, sustain some type of enough energy to still be dangerous for Jake. And so that's the interesting thing for me. I, I have no clue in terms of who's going to get it done, but I do think this is pretty much a 50-50 fight. Yeah, you made a lot of good points. Um, I don't think I'll say too much different than that. Um, I would just add that it is a step up in pretty much everything for, for Jake. And in terms of stamina, I, I would give that nod to Woodley because he just came, he's just coming off of a, of a UFC fight back in March. And Jake Paul has been training 
but in his professional fights, they've only went one round each. And so we're talking eight rounds. And so, you know, I'm also curious to see, especially because of his aggressive style, if Woodley is able to handle that onslaught early, Paul might punch himself out early. You know, who knows what will happen when he, when both of them fighters are in those deep waters. Now, Woodley is older and I don't know, I don't follow his, his UFC career, but I've seen that he was more of a striker or is more of a striker than Ashman was. Um, but he's been a world-class athlete for a long time. It's not like he was out of shape. I also think that he's been training with the right people. I've seen him in there with Floyd Mayweather, and I've seen him with Gerald Tucker, who, who's trained Floyd since his uncle Roger has passed. Um, I watched footage of them both on the bags, on the pads. The eye test is telling me that kind of Willie kind of has that advantage there. So I'm going to give him, even though Vegas odds is giving it to, to Paul, I, I think I'm going to have to give the edge to Willie here. Yes, sir. Very good breakdown, fellas. You know, it's good to be back with you guys um, talking in this box, and I'm sure we'll recap that next week, if the fight is next week. I think it is. Anything else you guys have left before we wrap things up? Good to be back. Yeah, it is good to be back. <laughs> yeah, last thing I'm going to say, man, uh, you know, shout out to Tank Davis, you know, surviving that minor uh, plane crash, because that could have been very serious had they taken off. Um, and they got off the ground, but you know, shout out to the champ. Um, doesn't look like he has any like serious injuries or anything like that, except for a um, maybe a little burnt um, butt cheek or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> but outside of that, man, I'm glad that nothing uh, more happened to the champ and he can continue, you know, living life and you know, um, defending his titles. But on that note, folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. And again, I was very, I'm very happy that we're back and we're able to talk boxing and hopefully enjoy the show. Sit back and enjoy, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.